as far as I know, no grandmother of mine, great grandmother, my mother, no one ever had a C-section. I felt like I did everything right. I drank green juice every day. I had no coffee. I did all the things. I ate healthy. I had no sweets. Why me? What did I do wrong? But of course, I trusted the doctors. I didn't know better. I was a first-time mom. I just, it was like my worst nightmare come true. I hate hospitals. I hate everything about them. <laughs> and I had exed my OBGYN, you know, way before, prior to that, you know, if in the event I did need a C-section, being that I am high risk now, could I have a gentle cesarean? And I remember him laughing in his office going, oh, no, they don't, they don't do those. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. My name is Katrina Percantino. I live on Long Island in New York. Got married 2016. We got our house 2017, 2018, pregnant with our first child. Both had teaching jobs in, you know, public schools. Life was perfect, right? Picture perfect, storybook. Dream wedding, dream house, dream jobs, right? Got pregnant, first try with our beautiful baby. Um, I thought I had a great pregnancy. I think it started going downhill when my OBGYN sent me for, I believe it was a level two sonogram because my husband was born bilateral club-footed. Um, so I guess they wanted to make sure that our baby didn't have the same issue. And during that time, they found that I had a single umbilical artery. How pregnant were you at this time? Maybe at the end of the first trimester, Okay, I believe. So they informed me that there was a risk for restricted growth and preterm labor. And I, I didn't think anything of it because my OBGYN was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry. Single artery, one vein, one artery is what right. we're talking about. Whereas normally we have um, three vessels in the cord. So it's a variation of normal. It's not that uncommon. Um, it's a good reason for providers to get all worried about growth restriction or complications in pregnancy. And while those things can sometimes be associated with that more often than not, they mean nothing. It means nothing. Right. And I've heard stories of moms having no issues. And I've, my own, another doctor in my practice told me her child had it. There were no issues. So I was trying to be positive. I felt good. I really didn't have any you know, illness come along or bad feelings. I, I was, I felt like I was glowing every day. <laughs> um, my, my job was quite stressful. It was very demanding. Um, I had a couple of rough patches, a couple of fears of me losing my job that I thought I would return to after becoming a mother. So there were days where I was crying in the bathroom at work. It was a very emotional time as far as my career. And I was feeling very worried about that. On top of, you know, after hearing all of the potential issues with my pregnancy. And in my heart, I knew I didn't want to work till the end. I wanted to take my maternity leave early and just rest and relax and nest. 
but my OBGYN reassured me that I can work up until the day I deliver. So I took his advice because he was the doctor instead of listening to my instincts. So I did work up until <laughs> the day that I was admitted for delivery. I was at my 35-week sonogram, which I had many, many ultrasounds during my first pregnancy to check the growth. Because of the cord. Right. So I was going maybe maybe weekly by my third trimester. And she was monitoring. You know, she said baby is at 13 percentile. If baby drops 10 percent or below, we're going to have an issue. <laughs> just just to be clear, this 10 percentile is the, the threshold for the intrauterine growth restriction criteria. Yes. Yes. But it's not justified, Trisha, right? I think we want to make that point clear, right? Well, yes, there's so every baby born under the 10 percentile is not necessarily IUGR. Because one in 10 babies will be. Right. And is IUGR is, well, if it's a 10th percentile, it has to be. We're talking a percentile chart. One in 10 will be under 10%. 10 out of 100 will be 10% or under. So they're taking the, the lowest 10. First of all, they're basing this on ultrasound, which is a very poor indicator of fetal weight, but they're just taking this big fishing net and gathering all these babies under 10% and stressing out the moms. But that isn't what, that isn't really indica- indicative of IUGR. It's just saying, oh, all these babies are on the small side. Well, yeah, because there are small babies just as there are large babies. And as Trisha said, uh, has said before, you don't really know if a baby has IUGR until after they're born. <laughs> but I would think, Trisha, isn't it more indicated by like a, um, a failure for the baby to continue growing? Right. So there's, you know, lack of growth, slow, there's slowed growth, lack of growth. And then there's um, ultrasound Doppler measurements that can help evaluate whether the placenta is getting properly perfused. But the, the, but the first marker is that 10th percentile. And a lot of people are pushed into intervention just because they've fallen below that 10th percentile. That does not necessarily mean you have true IUGR. So keep going. Yes. Yes. So I, I suppose the fact that according to ultrasound, baby went from 13th percentile to 10th percentile. You know, she called me in the office. She told me I'm sending you to labor and delivery. You're going to have your baby now. I sat in her office chair and cried for about two hours with my husband because all I wanted was a natural physiological, you know, birth. Um, That's all I wanted for my baby. I wanted everything in my power to not have a C-section. I didn't even know at this point that I was going to have a C-section because he was breech. So I didn't even realize they wouldn't give me the option. And she also said my fluid was low. So, so due to the low hormone in my placenta, the low fluid, the growth restriction, and my baby being breech at 35 weeks, I was sent to labor and delivery. I didn't even know what was going on. I was so distraught. I like didn't even feel alive during all of this. You mean you felt uh, checked out? Yeah, I just, it was like my worst nightmare come true. I hate hospitals. I hate everything about them. <laughs> so then they told me they were going to give me steroid shots for the lung development. Mm-hmm. So that would have to be done 24 hours apart, two doses 
Because the baby would be born prematurely. Right. So I was 35 and two, maybe. So they determined that the the risk to the baby of you staying pregnant was greater than the risk of a 35-weeker who potentially wouldn't have functioning lungs. Yes. Based on one slowed growth measurement and a little bit of low fluid. Yes. And, you know, before this appointment, I was all about letting baby come when baby's ready, you know, never trying to force anything or intervene with the natural process. But of course, I trusted the doctors. I didn't know better. I was a first time mom. So I did whatever they said. And I ended up, you know, after the 48 hours passed, I was in the hospital bed sleeping with my husband. It was maybe like one, two or three in the morning, all these alarms and monitors started going off. You know, I was sleeping with the monitor around my belly. I was all hooked up to all these machines to monitor the baby. A whole crew of like five doctors and nurses ran in in the middle of the night telling me, oh, you might need an emergency C-section right now. The baby's heart rate stopped. Again, I, I didn't even know what was going on. I couldn't even process what they were saying. And then they're like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. You right. Know. So it's not that the heart rate stopped. It's that the electronic fetal monitor failed right. and no one was there taking care of you. They were down the hall, leaning back, watching a bunch of monitors. Yes. And rather than thinking that these monitors slip all the time and move all the time, they went and scared the heck out of you. It just feels that way. It just feels like it's nonchalant for hospital staff to not be with a woman. And it just feels like there's this vibe of let's, let's just hang out watch these monitors. I mean, women are supposed to be tended to and loved and cared for. Uh, one thing is um, causing me uh, confusion here. It, it, you were in a, a apparently very high intervention, traditional New York hospital. Your baby was breached. I'm not understanding why they were not sending you straight to a C-section or no, what she was going was on. Waiting for the steroids to work. Oh, to, to you give the steroids to the mother that then pass on to the baby to rapidly mature the lungs so that they can be born, hopefully, with okay. functioning lungs. I didn't even realize after, you know, they came in, they scared me. Then they said, never mind. The baby probably squeezed the cord with his hand and uh, don't worry, go back to sleep. Oh, the baby probably <laughs> squeezed the cord with his hand. No, the yes. monitor slipped a few inches, right, Trisha? <laughs> probably. I mean, I mean, let's not blame the baby here. Yeah. So then they said, don't worry, go back to sleep. So I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. Go back to sleep. You just told me my baby's dying, but go back to sleep. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Nothing to see here. So that was that. So I was so exhausted the next day. I believe my C-section that I didn't even know I was having until probably a few hours before. I didn't even realize. So I didn't even think of it. Didn't explain the plan of care that they were going to give these steroids and that you were going to just remain in the hospital until until your scheduled C-section because your baby was breached. They just didn't even share that with you. No, I didn't know I was getting C-section until like maybe the morning of. And I asked my OBGYN, you know, way before prior to that, you know, if in the event I did need a C-section being that I am high risk now, could I have a gentle cesarean? And I remember him laughing in his office going, oh no, they don't, they don't do those. So nice. There's that. Yeah. So, you know, the nurses were very kind. I had all women. Um, I remember one nurse coming in and telling me, oh, 
uh, we're going to try to get you in on time for the female anesthesiologist. You don't want this guy. So just tell them that you want the female. And I was like, okay, I didn't even know what that meant. But I said, okay. <laughs> and I made sure I had the anesthesiologist the nurse told me to request. So C-section was very quick. I don't even remember. What I do remember is they were playing Christmas music. It was November 30th, singing Christmas songs. And I remember the smell of my skin burning once they cut me open. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, Go ahead. So Christmas music, bright lights, and the smelling of my skin burning. Uh, they took the baby out, weighed him, cleaned him, uh, you know, cut the cord right away put him cheek to cheek with me for maybe seconds, then took him to the NICU because he was small. He was four pounds, nine ounces. I guess I must have, must have fallen asleep because I woke up however many hours later with a breast pump on my lap. Um, not even my baby. I didn't even know where I was, where my baby was. I didn't know my baby was in the NICU, but I remember the lactation consultant telling me, okay, just pump every hour or two or whatever it was. So here I am. All I want is my baby to hold my baby. And I just, I had this pump on my lap. I'm like, so, so that you was, really, you really hadn't even seen your baby yet at this point. You had a moment of cheek to cheek. You probably hadn't even seen your baby unwrapped to see. I, I remember, body. I remember looking at him when they were weighing him and I saw these two huge dark Brown, like black eyes looking at me. That's my memory. And then the cheek to cheek, and then they took him away. I, do, I don't really remember. Um, the first time I touched my baby may have been the next morning. Uh, my first time I attempted breastfeeding him was probably the following morning. Obviously, trouble latching because without my permission or without my consent, they gave him a bottle of formula before I even held him. And mind you, this is a breastfeeding-friendly hospital. <laughs> so they broke the rule. Yeah. And can I just, we just need to reemphasize the point that in Premature babies, colostrum and breast milk are so incredibly important. So to give your baby formula without your permission is, it's so wrong. It's harmful. It's, it's harmful. It is, it is going against first do no harm. It is intentionally harmful. Yes. Was that a baby friendly hospital? Are you saying a baby friendly certified hospital? Yes. Then they should be reported for that. I think about it every day. They have 10 criteria that they have to adhere to. And that is the most important one that should and be reported for the sake of everyone, for their sake, for every woman and baby's sake, that should be reported. Yes. Yeah, so my story is not the only traumatic story that I know from there. So, so that happened. Um, you know, fast forward, baby was fine. He was in the NICU for six days. I think he maybe just needed oxygen the first day he was born, but no health issues. They kept him in the NICU for six days. I don't know why, but it's felt like the longest six days of my life. We got home. I couldn't, I tried breastfeeding him for about three months. I was doing the triple feeding for three months, pumping, trying to latch, bottle feeding, nipple shields. After three months, I so another lactation consultant who came to the house and she helped me. And once I got him exclusively breastfed, I never went back to pumping again. I had a little celebration. I threw away my pumping parts and continued to breastfeed him for three and a half years. It's worth asking, are you aware 
if you had postpartum anxiety or depression because you suffered a few risk factors of that? I'm sure I did. Um, yeah, you just I kept tried. plowing through. Yeah, it was just, it's all a blur. It was going through the motions. I just remember the sound of my pump in the middle of the night. You know, I remember being really upset that I always just wanted to hold my baby, but I would have to put him down or let someone else hold him so I could pump. And that crushed me because I just wanted to nurse him. I know, as far as I know, no grandmother of mine, great grandmother, my mother, no one ever had a C-section. Everybody breastfed without an issue. So I felt like I did everything right. I drank green juice every day. I had no coffee. I did all the things. I ate healthy. I had no sweets. Why me? What did I do wrong? And even though, thankfully, I breastfed him for, you know, natural term, I just, I can't help but keep thinking back. Now I realize perhaps if I got a second opinion, perhaps if I met with another provider, things could have been different. I understand C-sections are necessary for some cases, but I also understand that, for example, in my hospital, women giving birth for the first time, there's no reason for 50% of them to be having C-sections. And I didn't even know these numbers until after I gave birth and I became aware. So had I known that before I gave birth, I probably would have seen a different provider Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code DOWNTOBIRTH at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? 
After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed, a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. And, or at least given it a little bit more time, there really wasn't, there really wasn't in that moment on that day, there really wasn't an urgent need to give birth to your baby. Yeah. And I wish I would have just been in the right mindset to know what sense does it make to rip a baby out of the womb before he's really ready? And why wouldn't, you know, again, I can't go back. I don't know. Maybe he really did have a growth issue. Maybe he really did have to come out. I'll never know the truth. Just wish I saw another provider, wish I got a second opinion, wish I knew that I had options. I didn't know that I had choices. You know, they never really asked me, do you want to do this or this? They just said, we're sending you here. We're doing this. We're doing this. Babies very rarely are better off out of the womb than in the womb. Very rarely, even when a woman goes past her due date, even when she goes well past her due date. But, you know, when you're talking about a woman whose baby is clearly growth restricted, clearly growth is not happening um, and she smokes or she's doing drugs, you can start to put it together and create a story and a rationale. When you have a healthy woman who is like, oh, you touch that 10%, we have to remind ourselves that in this nation with the highest paternal mortality, um, in the industrialized world, there's a reason that, for example, the hospital you gave birth in has a 50% cesarean rate. Why? Because they're creating reasons for cesarean that aren't legitimate. That's the only way 50% is possible. How do they do that? By convincing women there's a need for that intervention or that C-section. So not to mention you didn't receive an ounce of informed consent. You were not told anything about the risks of what you were about to enter into. You were only told that this is what you should do. And you weren't given a choice, which is also what meta-analysis has shown, that women are not given choices and you always have a choice. They can never say, well, you're not going home today. Better call your, call your husband in. They can't do that. They have to explain to you what their recommendation is and then give you space and privacy to make a decision. But it, it, we, we believe it because it's too painful to think that this is happening for no reason. We believe it. Well, what if, what if he really will do better out? And then it, of course the next thought is, well, I don't want right. to take any chances, but that therein lies our society taking chances. And that's what points to our higher uh, mortality rates for babies and moms and women blame themselves. Yeah. Yes, I did for a long time. And, you know, and everyone said, well, the doctor saved your baby's life and all of that. The doctor risked your baby's life in all that. Exactly. That's and how it sounds. Again, I blamed myself for so long. Um, and then I started reading more and more. You know, the only thing I remember them asking me 
asking for my consent because I had to sign a paper was if I wanted to give him the hep A vaccine. And again, I didn't even think about it. I knew nothing about it. I didn't do enough research. I did a little bit, but not enough to know what decision I wanted to make at that time. So I remember saying, I don't know, what does everyone else do? That's exactly what women say. That's what I said. And I kick myself now because I know apparently there's no different dose for little babies. So, you know, they administered that. And looking back, my baby didn't need that. You know, the vaccines are the only medicine that they don't, where they don't take dosage into consideration. My teeny tiny four and a half pound baby, like did it, who didn't even need that. No, my, one of my best friends had twins at two and three pounds each. And the same thing, they were just offering her the lineup of vaccines. And that's when she learned the dose wasn't smaller. My, my children weighed four times what her children weighed and they would have applied the same dosage. Um, So that's, yeah. The only, only thing I remember asking didn't, again, I still at this point didn't know what planet I was on or what was going on. So how could I give informed consent at that point? But there's that. So, you know, Now my son is four and a half almost, and he's great. But every day, everything that goes wrong, I always think back, what if he had a vaginal birth? What if he didn't have that injection? What if, what if, you know, what if I could have just found a better doctor? And he was allowed to go to full term. Right. And then I think about my husband, who was a five pound baby and myself, who was a six pound baby. So obviously, I don't think I would have made a huge baby. Exactly. So that's another thing. I don't know how relevant that is, but to me, it would have made sense. It is relevant. Genetics. And it it has nothing to do with our adult size. But the genetics component is what do we in our family weigh at birth? And if it was coming from both sides, maternal and paternal, of course, you're extremely likely to have a small baby at birth. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my son had various issues, you know, I don't want to go into detail, but things that I just always trace back to the traumatic birth to certain things and interventions that happened. I remember my teeny tiny preemie, I had at least five doctors and nurses come into my room asking me if I wanted to circumcise him. Shouldn't one time of me telling you, no, don't touch my baby be enough. Why did they have multiple people coming in, bothering my poor teeny tiny baby? Uh, you know, and then I remember one doctor asking me, oh, why not? And I said, well, we don't do that. Like, why not? Why is it your why business? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Why, not? Uh, why? Because my child deserves the right to his f- whole body. That's why. <laughs> and but it's not necessary. Explain that to them anyway. Right. And it's, and the right. doctor, let's, let's be honest. We never talk about this, but the, the doctor it has a conflict of interest. Of course, it's another surgery. It's a right. shame on them for another unnecessary that. harmful yeah. surgery yeah. in that. Yeah. So that's, you know, and I thank God that was one thing I was well informed on. <laughs> That is huge. Congratulations. I'm so happy that I knew yes. better for that. But everything else, I always think back and I'm always, my husband just says, you know, you can't change it. You could just move forward. And, you know, after that, for about a year, I said, that's it. I will never get pregnant again. I will never give birth again. I will never go in the hospital again. I was one and done. I said to my husband, I will never do that again. Even though I wanted a big family, I said never again. So after just over a year, I said to my husband, well, if we want to grow the family, you know, we just try, see what happens. You know, you can't really plan perfectly. So be, got pregnant uh, in 2020. Um, but this time I wasn't working. I was home. I had less stress. I was more informed. I read so many wonderful books. 
by Dr. Jack Newman and Dr. James McKenna and, um, you know, your baby's microbiome. And I read all these wonderful books and I took my lactation education training courses and I learned so much. I took a childbirth um, certification course so I could be a childbirth educator. I did it more for me <laughs> to help me learn. Um, and I gained all this knowledge and I felt so different. I felt like a new person. And I said to my husband, you know, I'm going to meet with a few midwives this time around, change my providers. I started with a group of hospital midwives at a local university hospital, and they were fine until I did my little interview for my VBAC wishes. And they said, well, you know, we have to monitor you and give you the epidural just in case you need another C-section. So I was like, okay, this is not in line with what I want. I met with the home birth midwife and I fell in love. She was everything I ever dreamed of for a care provider. And I told my husband, we're having a home birth. He said, what? <laughs> he said, um, okay. You, Are up, you... <laughs> you had made up your mind. There was no yeah. negotiation. Yeah. I said, this is my midwife. We're having a home birth. I, I don't want to go <laughs> to a hospital. This is my midwife. Yeah. I said, I'm not, I'm not. You didn't, int you didn't introduce your husband to her. You introduced her to your husband. <laughs> yeah. I said, I am not ever giving birth in a hospital. A hospital is not a place for birth, especially not where I went. So I said, I'm having my baby at home. So I brought him to meet the midwife. She answered all his questions to help him feel confident that anything that happened during my first pregnancy had nothing to do with this one. I was healthy. My baby was healthy. I had no issues. And fast forward to today, I had my home birth with my husband. Your home birth no after cesarean. Yes, my HBAC, my home birth after cesarean. And it was the best surprise ever. Um, another boy. And after that experience, you know, I felt like superwoman. I felt like I could literally do anything. My baby latched right away. I was floating like on a cloud for I don't even know how long. It was so empowering. I felt literally like I was flying. And I told my husband I could do this like 10 more times. <laughs> And the midwife arrived 10 minutes before the birth. You know, my husband was like, yeah, you were crowning. I didn't even want to tell you. But I, I remember, you know, just I was roaring like an animal, like a wild lioness or something. I, I just totally surrendered my body. It just happened. It was so amazing. And I remember thinking at one point, this is so intense. Like, I don't know. What if since I'm a first time laborer, this is like a 24 hour thing because I heard stories like that you know, first time labor is long. Once the midwife was on the phone and she heard me, she told my husband, all right, well, the baby's probably going to arrive before me. And when I heard that, I was so happy because I was like, okay, the baby's coming soon. <laughs> but she made it 10 minutes before the birth and it was just lovely in every aspect. And I just wish that every woman could have the gift of a beautiful, peaceful birth after your second birth, how did you then receive your first birth? You had years to think about your first birth. You had come to certain conclusions. Then you had this incredible experience that exceeded your expectations. How did that change how you then perceived your first birth? What new emotions came up for you? Um, you know, definitely regret that my, my firstborn child couldn't have all of these things, you know, but also glad that I learned that it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. I didn't harm my baby, that my body wasn't broken, that I wasn't broken. 
you know, that I was capable and with a little bit of education and the right support, I could make the positive changes that I needed to for myself and for my family. Many women go into their first birth thinking that they'll just see how things go or just take it as it comes, or they just sort of trust the doctor implicitly to guide them along the way. After this experience, how would you advise women? What would you say to them about preparing for their first birth? There are many factors and ways to prepare. I think it's mostly a mental exercise, just knowing that your body knows what to do and your baby knows what to do. But really, number one, I think you know, in my personal experience, I believe my birth trauma would have been avoided if I would have paid attention to all the red flags with my ex-OBGYN. And if I would have fired him before my birth, you know, I didn't realize that I could switch providers. And, you know, the red flags, him telling me there was no gentle cesareans, him telling me that I couldn't breastfeed after 20 weeks of pregnancy with my second child because I would go into preterm labor and I knew that was false after him. You know, there were just many red flags. I didn't know. I genuinely didn't know that there were home birth midwives, let alone midwives on Long Island. And then, you know, with my first pregnancy, every birth story I heard was horrific. And, you know, there was nothing good said by my friends and relatives about the birth stories. My second pregnancy, I joined all these home birth support groups. I spoke with women who had home births or, you know, births with midwives and hospitals. And just by hearing the stories of my friends and relatives who had an OBGYN hospital birth compared to the home birth stories, it was a no-brainer. I just want women to know that we don't have to continue these cycles of birth trauma. It can end. And it will end if we keep speaking, keep sharing stories, keep informing one another, and keep supporting each other. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. you know how many people tell me I'm brave and I can't believe you had a home birth after a cesarean and you're crazy and how could you do that you were brave <laughs> yes but you were brave the first time yes that was much harder I'm sure yes and I forgot to mention that hypnobirthing book by Marie Mongan I read too and that really changed my life yeah, honestly yeah I loved that book like mm-hmm. it just makes sense for mammals like it's not hard to figure out